Welcome to Season 3 of the Suburb Motivation Podcast. Join me, Brad, each week as my guests and I share incredible, inspiring, and powerful sobriety stories. We are here to show sobriety as possible one story at a time. Let's go. In this episode, we meet Joe. Growing up, Joe had no shortage of traumatic experiences and never talked about the feelings or thoughts associated with these events. He found a level of acceptance through drinking alcohol and consuming drugs. Going through the motions in life, Joe found himself covering up his emotions with alcohol time and time again. Sobriety was not given much attention, and drinking alcohol just felt so normal. After many ups and downs, Joe had a 10-day break from alcohol and decided to keep it going. Today, Joe celebrates nine months of sobriety. And this is Joe's story on the Sober Motivation Podcast. Getting sober is a lifestyle change, and sometimes a little technology can help. Imagine a breathalyzer that works like a habit tracker for sobriety. Soberlink helps you replace bad habits with healthy ones. Weighing less than a pound and as compact as a sunglass case, Soberlink devices have built-in facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting, which is just another way of saying it'll keep you honest. On top of all that, results are sent instantly to loved ones to help you stay accountable. Go after your goals. Visit Soberlink.com slash recover to sign up and receive $50 off your device today. Welcome back to another episode of the Sober Motivation Podcast. Today, we've got Joe with us. Joe, how are you? Doing Brad. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, of course. Thank you for jumping on and being willing to share your story with the world here. Indeed. So how we start every episode is the same question. What was it like for you growing up? I want to try to keep it as simple as possible, but unfortunately, I had a pretty complex upbringing, I would say. I was born in Bozeman, Montana in 1981. My mom and dad, we lived here only for maybe a few months after I was born. And we actually moved to Billings, Montana, which is just a couple hours east of Bozeman. And I proceeded to live there for a couple years with my mom and dad. but. They were very much in a relationship of essentially just fighting and drinking was essentially their relationship. They had actually broken up before they had me, but then my mom found out she was pregnant. So they got back together to try to make it work. And it was not a good situation for either one of them. That is how my dad describes their relationship though, is essentially just drinking and fighting and they broke up then probably like when I was around three, my mom left to go back to uh, Wolf Point, which is a reservation on the Fort Peck reservation. I'm actually a Chippewa Sioux as well from my mom's side. And I hadn't really spent any time on the reservation at that point, but after my mom left, essentially they shared custody from me or over me for basically the, the majority of my childhood. and. At first I would go up to the reservation for like holidays and whatnot, and just spend just a bunch of like random time up there. And in between all this though, like I was also moving around a lot as a child, numerous times and places. We went to Omaha, Nebraska when I was like in second grade or no, actually, I'm sorry, kindergarten. And I was actually in four different kindergartens just due to all the moving around that was going on. And then when I had started school, I would go to the reservation during the summers to be with my mom. And so that was basically the schedule between my parents growing up, school year with my dad, 
reservation with my mom and talk about two totally different worlds like that I was bouncing back and forth. I really was just left to my own devices when I would go visit my mom. I didn't really have any friends up there. I had some family, which was great, but honestly, the situation I had growing up there was definitely surrounded by alcohol and drugs. It was very much a party environment. And I, I, I was left to actually babysit my younger sister most of the time while my mother and stepfather would go out and get drunk. And at that point, I was probably about less than 10 years old watching over my sister who's five or six and my mom would just come home drunk constantly and just be fighting with my stepdad. I just remember my childhood was full of a lot of like all around me, whether it was my dad and mom or my mom and stepdad or anything mm -hmm. like that. And I was definitely just surrounded by substances growing up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That it seems like two different dynamics there, right? Mm. Where you're living in outside the reservation and then going back in the summertime to the reservations, right? You have to make new friends and new connections and things are maybe operating a little bit differently. One thing I always pick up on with stories about when the parents struggle with substance use of any sort mm -hmm. is that the young people, the kids tend to have to grow up quickly. They have to, especially the thing where you're mentioning now you're watching your your sister and stuff yeah. like <clears throat> under different circumstances, something like that m might make a little bit of sense, but to with the priority of going out and drinking and getting drunk, it just maybe confuses the whole situation. Also, I hear there was like a lot of chaos, right? Yeah. That's another thing you, you hear from that when that stuff is around, right? And what do you go back there if you can to those times? How did that affect you as far as like feelings and thoughts? when you were growing up. Yeah, like you said, it was very chaotic. And I just felt like being torn between two worlds. Like I almost just had two identities. Like when I was with my mom, I was with my mom and I was happy. But then when I was with my dad, I was happy being there. And it just literally, I, I, I think I made like a mental separation between the two almost. And in hindsight, I didn't really talk about anything to anybody. I just dealt with it by this is happening and I just worked through it. And I didn't realize, of course, until hindsight, just how I think conflicted I was between the back and forth and the lack of a foundation basically growing up. And yeah, it's just what my father said is I just didn't talk about it. I just, I was pretty quiet. I was a good kid. I enjoyed school. But yeah, there was just this dark side, I guess, if you will, that honestly was, I would say, coming from my mom's side. She was a very narcissistic woman who didn't care anything but herself and partying. That was her thing between 81 and 83. So when I was like one to two and a half, she would constantly just leave my father just to go out and party, wouldn't stick around and help out with anything or help raised me. She didn't want to do any of those motherly things. She wanted to do what she wanted to do. And I know even she had left me at the park for my dad to pick up all by myself, like in a crib or like a seat or whatever, just because she wanted to go party. And she just, she didn't have that motherly instinct. I actually have an older brother as well that she had gave up for adoption when he was born. And then I also have my younger sister, as I mentioned before, but she failed us all, I would say. And in the summer of 92, 93, I was like 12 years old and I was up there on the reservation, like usual, visiting her. 
And at that point I was getting older. I was getting more of a foundation because we had moved back to Bozeman and I was starting to get some friends actually like starting to make some connections. And it was hard to go up to Wolf Point to be there during the summer where I just felt alone. And I remember my father calling me and was like telling me on the phone, your mom is trying to get full custody of you. Like, I will not be able to see you again. You're going to have to go to school up there if this happens. And I just didn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I just was, I didn't want to ever cause trouble. And I felt like if I actually maybe stood up for what I, what I wanted, it would just create more chaos. And I think I was just trying to avoid the chaos. And I just swept that under the rug was just like, uh, whatever. But I do remember my mom, like asking me if I wanted to go to school up on the reservation. And deep down, of course I didn't want to, but I didn't have the power in me to say no. And one day when I was up there on the res, my grandma from my father's side called me and asked me to come visit her, which I knew it was odd because my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family, we just didn't intermingle or mix when I was up there on the reservation. It was like, I was with my mom's side of the family. That's it. Stayed away from everybody else. But it was a red flag that she was calling me, but my mom was at work and my stepfather allowed me to go up to my grandma's house. So I went to uh, my grandma's house and was surprised that my dad was actually there unexpectedly. And he's, we have to go now. We have to get off the reservation. If we don't leave now, your mom very well could have custody of you. Cause just due to like tribal laws and whatnot, tribal nations, even like when my mom had custody of me at that time during for the visitation, it, it would have been very hard for my father to ever really have his rights to me again. So he was told by his attorney that he had to get me off the reservation. And that moment is just a moment that like, you know, has forever stuck in my mind. That's like when I had to just make a choice, obviously. And I think that's what I had been avoiding for so long, but I just remember like holding on to like these couple banisters and just like crying and just not knowing what to do. Cause I didn't want to leave at first, but then I knew I had to, I knew I was happier with my father and I knew I trusted him and what he was trying to do for me. Unlike my mother. And we left the res. I left everything I had behind with my mom and we stayed in Billings for a week, just in case like she was trying to find me. And that was almost essentially like the end of my relationship with that side of the family. And it was just a very hard end, abrupt end to our relationship. And a year later in 93, we had to go to court up on the reservation. And that had been the first time I had seen my mom. And she asked me if I wanted to stay with her during the summers. And at that point I had actually said, maybe not the whole summer. Like I want to be with my friends. I want to have a good time, like in Bozeman where I know people. And I didn't tell her ever that I didn't want to see her, but I did. I voiced my opinion for one of the first times and what I wanted. And she proceeded after that, she gave me up. She gave up her parental rights to me after I said that and basically took it as I didn't want anything to do with her. So that was then the true end of our relationship moving forward. And that was, yeah, like 13, almost eighth grade. And just, yeah, that was a huge part of my childhood. And I didn't really process anything because after that, it was just over this whole part of my life. This whole second identity almost was just gone. And 
I proceeded to just go about life in Bozeman. Wow, dude, I'm just picturing that there, 12 years old too, about making a, a big decision at that point about which direction you're going to go with this. And then probably, I don't know if you would have had any idea, but maybe suspecting that things could eventually maybe play out the way they did, right? Because you're leaving mm -hmm. and you knew it would probably upset your mom and her family and stuff. Wow, man, that's that's a lot of stuff to go through. Well, what were you feeling throughout this time? Looking back, hindsight, we can see things a lot differently. Did you realize the impact that this may have at the time or was it just forward and onward? It was forward and onward. Yeah, it very much was. I just, I cut those ties off mentally yeah. for the most part and just focused on the present and what I had to do moving forward. And I had some contact here and there with my sister. It was brief communication here and there, my brother a little bit. So I had a sense of what was going on. But yeah, even though we were in the same state, it's like we were on opposite ends of the world. And I just proceeded to go about my life and going to high school here. That's like when I I think it was like 14, 15. That's when I just discovered alcohol and weed and all of that. And it just was such a sense of comfort and relief that I had never experienced before. And I just, it was really easy for me to get into it from there. And that's how I dealt with things, I guess, by not really dealing with them, just going into oblivion and just not really processing anything that had happened or that I didn't have contact with them anymore. And it, it started off slow, I would say, like the drinking and drugs and whatnot, but it ramped up pretty quick, especially after high school. I definitely started drugging like pretty hard in my early 20s and came across like meth and meth was something I was into for quite a while, but then also diving into coke, mushrooms, acid. It was like anything that was put in front of me, I would do. I would not have a problem. It just, it, it was fun. It let me escape the reality that I was surrounded by. Yeah. So it started out for you with drinking and probably smoking weed and stuff in mm -hmm. high school, right? Yeah. Yep. What it's interesting, right? Because looking back, we can, we see this picture, big picture of what we were avoiding, how we were self-medicating, how we were addicted and, and everything going on. What were your thoughts as you're going through this? Were you able to connect the dots that, Hey, I'm using meth to avoid feeling X, Y, and Z? Or was it because I know for me at the beginning, it was just fun. It was just like, this was fun. Yeah. I knew I was, my thoughts were changing and the way I felt was changing when I used drugs and alcohol. But I don't think early on I connected the dots as like trauma or emotional pain or anything. What was your experience with that? I would totally agree with you. It was just fun. It. I did not think I had been through like a traumatic childhood. I just thought it was normal. It, mm. it was normalized. Like there was no talk about it again or anything. And so I just, I was just having fun though. Um, but I do know now, of course, like in hindsight, like it was just covering up a lot and that's it, but it was easy. Cause yeah, Bozeman, a lot of places, it has a large very big like drinking culture it's a college town and it was easy to have access like i had a fake id before i was 21 and going to the bars i actually got my first dui was when i was 20. i was down and i was going down a bad path like for sure but then i knew no matter how deep i got into the drugs i just 
I was also able to separate myself somehow. And I knew it was a path I didn't want to go down because I also knew at that point that it had taken over uh, my brother's life. And even though we hadn't been in much contact, I did know he had been in and out of prison for quite a while. And I was surrounded by people who I realized I did not want to be like them. I knew if I kept doing it and what I was doing, I was going to end up just like them. And it was a scary situation. And so I was able to just cut myself off from this group of people. And that's essentially how I got out of that phase of my life of at least like the meth and whatnot, which I didn't think of anything of it at the time, but I realized now in hindsight, like what a victory that was, because that was, is very much a very addicting drug, nothing like fentanyl, I'm guessing. And I'm so grateful fentanyl wasn't around when I was growing up because I don't know, I, I can't imagine I, I would be here today if that was a drug that was around then. It's scary for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. 110%. It is. Yeah. Getting off meth too. A lot of people struggle with getting off meth. It's a berry. It does so much damage as well. It's to give you a run for your money for sure. There's a lot of people I've known over the years. Yeah. It just keeps you coming back. It's a tough mm -hmm. one. So for you to be able to have that, what do you call it? Look into the future a little bit there and just see that road you're headed on that it's not good. And to be able to shut that down and, and move on from that group of friends and stuff. What else is going on in your life outside of using drugs and drinking and partying? Or are you working? Are you going to school? Or are you? Yeah. During fun? 18 to 25 or so, I was just working. I was working to survive. I was in the restaurant industry, which I loved, but that also gave me access to a lot of alcohol. I was, yeah, yeah. It, it was everywhere and I would be getting served drinks on shift all the time. Like it just, again, in hindsight, it was not a good environment for, for me to be in just because it was so easy to just constantly be drinking and accepted. It just was an accepted part of working in that industry. So that's like what I did, I would say for. A solid five years at least was just work and party and just getting by. Okay. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> I'm I'm with you too, man. I'm with you too. That's when I really got introduced to a lot of stuff like cocaine and mm -hmm. because I was working in the kitchen and, and you'd have the older guys, right? Older people. And then they would already be long, long gone into this stuff and then introduce you and get you. That's how I got introduced. But yeah, anybody who worked in restaurants, I guess everybody who's been on the show struggle with addiction. So. I wouldn't expect any different story, but yeah, a lot of people share that story of working in restaurants, right? Because it's a lifestyle. Like you, you work four to midnight or four to one and then everybody, there's no really where else to go. So everybody who gets off the shift, you guys go and you might party somewhere or go back and party at someone's place because everybody else is winding down. Yeah. So we would go back to my place or another buddy's place. And we would just kick it till three, four, five in the morning, sometimes all morning, like till six, till the sun came up. Definitely. And that's because we didn't have to get up the next day till four o'clock, five o'clock or six o'clock start. And then, man, I'm thinking it just brought me back to that job. We did that stuff too, man, for years, day in and day out like clockwork. Yeah. We did it's it. It's easy that's to what fall it was into. For, that's what it was for you too. Same idea. Oh, without a doubt. Like for so yeah. long and just, yeah, I would get through work. But after work, it was open to a good time. And if anything, I would be hung over but then just hair of the dog and it was just that perpetual yeah. cycle of like you said groundhog day is a perfect way to put it it's unfortunate because there's not much i can remember now <laughs> it's all yeah. very fuzzy there's moments here and there that stand out but it's sad when you just can't remember like a good part of your life 
even if it was mm-hmm. a good time, I feel like it was a lot of wasted time. Yeah. Was there any reflection during that time to yourself, any inner dialogue or anything of, man, I've got to get things straightened out here. I'm not headed to where I'm, I want to be. I think that inner dialogue was always there, always, but it would be drowned out. It, I would drink it away for the most part. Yeah. But I think that voice was always there. And cause I even remember like just recently I came across like a journal that I had kept in my early twenties. And it was very eye-opening because even then I was writing about how I knew I had a problem with alcohol and I did, I knew it, but I just didn't want to accept it or fully look at it. And I just was in it for the good time. It was a way for me to fit in. And I know I've heard that a lot too on, on your podcast. It was a way for me to fit in with anybody and everybody. And I think that's what I was craving and needed more than anything is like, a a place that I felt like I belonged. And that's what drugs and alcohol brought for me. Even if it was superficial, Mm -hmm. I was here with these people having a good time and I felt like I was accepted. And I think that's something I was just craving because I was struggling a lot with my own self-worth. And I knew I had a lot of mental health issues in terms of depression and anxiety that I didn't want to deal with. And that's also obviously what the drugs and alcohol were able to, to numb out, but in the end just perpetuated because going back to that fitting in, like I knew since like fourth grade, I would say, as long as I can remember, I knew that I was different and I knew, yes, I had been through some terrible experiences, but I also knew I wasn't the the typical, I guess what you would say, like social norm in terms of being straight. Like I am a gay man who really struggled with that part of my identity. And I had not talked about it with anybody. I, during all my high school years, it just really wasn't acceptable. I would say I came out when I was like 21 to, to some friends and started that, that journey of acceptance. But at the same time, I just was still struggling with accepting that part of my identity and I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. So I just partied with everybody and I was like everybody else. And I feel like that was the majority of my life was just trying to fit in. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Joe. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Because that, that paints even maybe a little bit more of a picture for us about what Looking back, what we're trying to avoid really puts maybe some thoughts to those feelings about what's bringing them up. And it's a whirlwind of stuff, right? You don't yeah. fit in. And I was the same way, man. I never fit in. And then it, it, I knew the consequences involved with drugs and alcohol, but it didn't matter. I didn't care because the desire to fit in and be part, I think that's human nature. I think that's what we thrive for. We want and we need most is to fit in and belong somewhere and have a, a community, whether it be one person or 20 people. And I was okay with the consequences being what they were in my life as long as I had a couple of people that cared. And yeah, maybe the f- relationships were built on sand and they weren't the most productive and incredible things. But when I was in it, I felt like they were the real deal. I felt connected and belonging and I think that's that's what we get stuck in, right? Especially when we just feel rejected over and over again. And the substances just bring us together. It doesn't matter. People, you want to drink, you want to do meth. Nobody wants to know your entire life story. It's let's just get to it. 
Yeah. And it was great. It was really good. And I had a hard time creating genuine relationships with people because those people intimidated me because they wanted to hear about me. And I'm like, dude, there's nothing exciting about me to really share with you to connect on that level. Or I just didn't know it. I didn't know how to articulate that. I didn't, I had the no self-esteem and the confidence, not really any confidence. So I was just drawn to the other stuff. I'm with you on some of that stuff too. Yeah. So you come out, you talk with your friends around 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that like? Scary. It, it was intimidating for sure. Like, I don't know. It, it's, I think coming out is such a crucial part for individuals to do of their journey, just because it, it is part of that self-acceptance that is needed and to help, like you said, like confidence, like hopefully build up confidence and whatnot. But there's still just a lot of struggles after that. I, I did feel like a, a huge weight off my shoulders without a doubt. I knew I couldn't just hide that part of my life. I didn't want that. Still moving forward though, it, it was still like a part I just had troubles accepting about myself because I had no community. There was not really any gay community in Bozeman at that time. I didn't know who to reach out to. I didn't talk to anybody about it. It was just like coming out and then that was it. And for the most part, it was fine. Everybody was accepting of it, but there was just nobody who I feel like understood me. I just have always felt like an outsider on the fringe and people have come to accept me, but still just feel like that I'm just trying to fit in not that I, I belong anywhere. And I think that's really been probably one of my biggest struggles is just that self-acceptance and getting that confidence. And it's definitely gotten a lot better now that I'm, now that I'm sober, but I drank and used drugs for well over 25 years. That's a huge part of my life. And there was a lot of ebb and flows. Of course, I did start my undergrad, uh, I went to undergrad school here at MSU when I was 25, because I knew again, like there was just this part of me that wanted to be better and do something. And mm -hmm. I went to school for film and I think film was something I was very passionate about because it was something like that was a great escape for me growing up. I watched a lot of movies. That was like the one thing I could do when I would visit my mom and be on the res, like I could watch movies and just totally escape. So I fell in love um, with the idea of pursuing that career and school was great for me. It actually helped me get a routine. I was starting to feel just more confident, smarter. I actually was like ready to tackle the world. I had quit drinking for a little while there because I knew at one point again that I was struggling with it. And there was a time where we had a party at my house and it just got out of control and it was, I was a pretty personable or a pretty personal drunk, I guess I get along with almost everybody. Like I don't like to create fights or anything. I don't fight fighting. I think I try to avoid it, but there was those times where you could just see like the anger. And I, I think I, there was just a lot of resentment and anger that was like boiling deep within me that would come out every once in a while. And there was a, a party that had gone to that was at my house and it ended very badly in terms of just a lot of things were broken. I was like punching the wall and stuff, like almost broke my hand. And I was like, this is out of control. I need to get my shit together. Went and seeked counseling for drugs and alcohol. And that helped a lot, but he didn't really know what to do with me. He referred me to AA, which I never did. 
And I just was like, I can do this. I can do this by myself. Like, I don't need anybody. I think it was the mentality that I had and have had growing up is I can just, I can do it myself. I basically had to tackle everything myself anyways. So I just blew that off and slowly, but surely it just creeps back in. And I'm just like back in it, just drinking like every day and drinking and weed, I would say were the most prevalent drugs later in my life that were just always there numbing myself out every day. Yeah. It's that combination that people seem to be gravitated to, seem to gravitate to sometimes, right? Because you drink at night and then you wake up and you have the, if you're looking for that escape, you have the weed in the morning, but you maybe function a little bit better for some than like to go to a job and stuff. If you're drinking, it might be a little bit more challenging, but yeah. So you go back to school, you do your undergraduate. Yep. You get a little bit of, you get a little bit of time under your belt, but yeah, left to our own devices. Yeah, we know what's best, right? <laughs> we'll figure. Oh it. yeah, we'll figure it out. We got this. We got. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm just gonna. I I would do the thing too. I'm just gonna will my way through it. Exactly. Not talk to anybody about anything in life. I'm just gonna. And it just. I don't know. For me, man, I I always, I always needed a relief from that. And the only tool I had in my toolbox was more drink, more drunk. Exactly. It wasn't even. It wasn't even when I reflect back there, it wasn't even necessarily that I was like, oh, I need to drink. I need I just needed to escape. And that's what works so well. If I would have had other tools, maybe I could have relied on those. And that's a big thing about like recovery and sobriety is try to get some other tools about how we're going to deal and work through and with all the emotions that we're going to feel throughout life. But so you do your undergrad, you finish that. Did you finish that up? I did. Yep. Yep. I graduated when I was 30. Wow. So that, yeah, yeah. So that was a great accomplishment. I was super, super excited about it. I had planned to maybe move to either Oregon or California because just to pursue a film career, I couldn't really stick in Bozeman. But that same week that I graduated, I actually met now my ex. I met him that same week that I graduated college. And this is a, he had just moved to Bozeman. And we just clicked like right away. And I just, it was quick. We were living together within three months and I was together with him for about four to five years. And that could be a whole nother podcast, that experience, but it was, it taught me a lot, but also the thing, unfortunately it didn't work out obviously due to a lot of mistakes that I made. I would say one of them being that I knew I still just didn't have any self-worth. I didn't love myself and you really can't be in a relationship with somebody else. If you're not there for yourself or love yourself, you just can't. And I know that now at that time I didn't, but it quickly came prevalent, but I just try to keep stuffing it down, keep stuffing it down. And that's like when I really had started drinking again, because the world of breweries started to happen in Bozeman. And that just got me heavy into the beer. And I just slowly started, yeah, drinking again, smoking pot a lot, smoking cigarettes. I've been smoking cigarettes since I was in high school too. quit that for a while, but then started again. We broke up. And after that, it was just like some like mid thirties here. And after that, it was just like, it was like, I was in my twenties again. Like it was just back to party and create. That's all I was doing, working and drinking and whatever drugs came along. I lived near downtown Bozeman. So super close to the bar scene. And I I was hurting from 
what had happened with that relationship. And my roommate, who was a good friend, he was just going through a divorce. So we were both hurting. So we, it was easy to just go and have a good time again, just to like the pain away for lack of a better saying. And it just, it kept on happening and it was so easy just to fall back into all those habits. And that's again, just how I dealt with everything by not dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah, it works until it doesn't work too with that. Like we can definitely avoid stuff for a certain amount of time, but I feel like eventually it's still going to be there whether we have it on our mind or not. A lot of this stuff just doesn't uh, magically go away. And that's good. That's a really good kind of realization there too about the whole loving yourself to be in a relationship, wanting this to work out so bad for this relationship to work out, but coming to realize like you can't really give away what you don't have. It's a hard sure. thing to do. I used to work with these young kids and they fall, they were falling in love left and center. And they struggled with what we've all struggled with to where we didn't necessarily have that connection with ourselves. And I would try to explain to them, if you don't have a $100 bill, you can't give someone else a $100 bill. I don't know if they got it or not, but it's that thing about how you have to work on yourself and, and work on that development before you're able to give that to somebody else. Like I'm so with you true. on that. 100%. Like I wanted relationships in my earlier days to work out, but man, I didn't know how to, I just didn't know how to do that one crucial component. That's what exactly. I was missing. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I thought I was helping myself just because I was helping social. I was a very social person and I felt like I was making all these connections and had these close connections, but as like, it's not helping yourself at all. You're just, you're not dealing with anything. And I just thought it was normal. I just, Drinking had become so normalized for me all through my childhood, all through high school, all, all throughout my whole life. Cause I was hanging out with those people like where it was their lives. It was my life. So I just thought everybody that was just the way it was. And I know that's how it was with my family too, growing up. Like they just also thought that's how it was. Like everybody drank like that and it's not the case, but I just found sobriety wasn't even anything that entered my my mind at all it was something that maybe like about a few years ago when i was yeah about 40 i would say 39 40 started thinking about it more started getting into the sober october mentality thought i could do that which i i did and so i felt like i had a grasp on everything but before you know it you're just right back into the same i, I would find excuses or had excuses to go out every night to go meet up with people and have a few beers, but then I would drink more on top of that as well. And it was just the way to function every day. I didn't know anything different. That's just the way it was pretty much my whole life. Yeah. Up until now, what, nine until months now. ago, right? Nine months? Yeah. Coming up on nine months. Exactly. Yeah. And it was just one of those things. I think I had, I know I had the internal battle going for a while, like that struggle of just like wanting to change things, but not knowing how. And I did the pandemic help and if anything helped a lot of people self-reflect, I think. And I knew that I needed to deal with some stuff. So I decided to go to therapy and I think that was one of the best steps I've taken in my life. Cause it's just been a snowball effect into other parts of my life. And started really working on some of that past trauma, the things that I'd never dealt with basically. And those are just stepping 
blocks basically to get me to sobriety by actually doing some of that work and self-care but it still wasn't really there like i it wasn't even possible like the thought of not drinking wasn't even a reality at all a couple years ago though too my older brother he was actually he was killed by a drunk driver and that was a lot to process and i am grateful that i had just started going to therapy a, a few months prior and i'm so grateful that i had that resource in place already before that happened because it it hit me a lot more than i had anticipated just because the relationship with my brother and i like it, it wasn't really there i hadn't seen him since i had cut ties with all of my family when i was 13 but over the years we had tried to connect we had brief conversations here and there but he was just like i said he was constantly in and out of prison he was still actively doing meth but there was that hope that we could reconnect again at some point and i knew i wanted to because i also knew through the pipeline and through some of the conversations that we had that he was gay as well and it was just something that i really wanted to be able to connect with and talk about with him and just his his experiences right and just relate to somebody about that and i just unfortunately never got that opportunity and i blame that more on the drugs i think he i always thought if anything he would die from the overdose or something and the fact that he actually got killed by a drunk driver is just i don't know just crazy to me and i it didn't end the way i wanted to with, with my brother and i had I actually had to cut off sever our relationship just like a year prior because he i know he was using and he just randomly hit me up for money and i knew what it was for so i cut off our relationship and that was the last communication we had it was very it was him being very angry with me and upset that i wouldn't help him out and he always thought he could count on me but i know that was the drugs talking i know that now and i'm grateful because a year later after he had died i had actually come across some old texts that we had and i came across a text just with him saying how much he loved me and he did feel like i was his brother even though we weren't close he was proud of me and that's what I choose to remember. And I know that's how he felt too, but it was definitely, it hit me hard and it was a lot to process. And I think that was really like the beginning of reflecting on like how much drugs and alcohol have affected my family and me, even though I felt like I was always comparing myself, right? To that extreme thinking that I was okay. So I wasn't that bad, but I know there's a whole there's a whole spectrum. It's not, you don't have to be at that rock bottom. We all have our different rock bottoms. And I can't say like on paper, like that I had this one significant moment that was like my rock bottom. I think I had many rock bottoms throughout my life, but I just kept going and just kept ignoring it. Like waking up in my own vomit multiple times, like getting in trouble with the law. My family's dying. And yet I just didn't care to look at the root cause of it all until that happened. And I just became very sober curious after that, I would say, and just continued to explore that after he died. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. It's, there's always a little bit of hope there. I think when thing, when people are still around, one day you'll be able to connect and 
maybe make sense of it all. But yeah, with the with his passing, then that door for now anyway is closed, right? It's the it's real, and that's hard, man. That's really hard. But even though you guys were separated, and you weren't in contact like every day or anything, but still, I think there's probably a really special bond between them brothers right mm-hmm. like yeah you know? there was definitely like always that like i said that hope i guess that we would reunite again sometime yeah. on whatever that looked like and connect again at some point and yeah. yeah it hurt for sure but i worked through that and going through therapy again it was huge for me and it just opened up the door to a lot of self-reflection and processing everything that had happened and my therapist actually started putting the kind of the seed in me, if you will, like the, the idea of becoming involved with social work because he knew I was just very passionate about social justice. And I think with my lived in experience and experiences of a lot of different things that I could be very valuable to that field. And again, I was like, God, this is just something I never even thought of. And it's, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So I just decided, fuck it, I'll give this a go and applied for grad school. And I'm currently in grad school to get my master's of social work, which in itself has been so therapeutic to me because I've learned so much. It's given me so much insight and knowledge just about myself while learning about other people that it's really just been a crazy awesome, mind-blowing journey. And I couldn't be any more grateful for my therapist, even for guiding me that way, because I knew I'd been through a lot of shit, but that was it. It was just like a bunch of baggage. But now it's like, I realize like how I can use it. It, It's, I can actually use this for something to help other people, hopefully. And it's just helped me process everything. And it's just been a awesome journey. And at this point still, I didn't think sobriety was an option. I wasn't even thinking about it still. Mm. And yeah, I got back into doing Coke and whatnot last year and just found myself back into the same habits and grind of just drugs and alcohol. And it wasn't serving me though. And that voice in the back of my head was just getting louder and louder. Like I knew it wasn't good for me. My health was deteriorating drastically. Mm. And then I don't know what happened, but I, I got... I got sick, pretty sick with the flu or something. So I didn't drink or, or do drugs for 10 days. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to keep this going. I'm just going to keep this going. And it was like a switch had gone off in my mind and I knew I didn't want to do it anymore. I, it just felt different. And that's what I did. I just quit. I just quit everything and I haven't looked back since. And so you brought up to the rock bottoms thing, right? I think a lot of people, it's like searching for this rock bottom to be the reason why we get sober. And when it literally that story you just shared is literally what like so many people experience. You wake up one day and bang, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense. And you're just like, I just don't want to live this anyway. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't want to live this way. I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and just try to get one day under my belt. And one turns to two and two turns to 365 before you know it. And that, yeah. I think that's so encouraging. That's so encouraging in the way that we don't have to burn things completely to the ground. Like literally you can wake up and make a decision and a choice today. If anyone's struggling or anyone's up in the mix, you can do that today to just say enough is enough. Enough oh, well. I'm gonna 
start living another way, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so currently I am just enjoying sobriety. The first six months was difficult. I just was white knuckling. I decided to just do it. Like I said, by myself, I was just like, I don't know if I'm stubborn that way for better or worse, but I was just like, I got this, I can do it. But it was hard. It was difficult. And the sense of self-discovery though, was like coming back. And I, I just realized like, wow, I do not know who I am. Like I just didn't know myself at all. And the world has just been like opened up into so many new opportunities. Like I never would have thought I'd be talking to you, right? A podcast about sobriety. That was not even something that I could have ever thought possible. And I'm just really excited to see where I go with my career in the future to, to take this. Cause it, like I said, addiction, it was not even anything I had thought of up until I became sober. And now it's been a detour, if you will, like with my career, cause I do want to go and move forward into recovery programs or addiction recovery and help people because I've learned how powerful and helpful, like using my experiences is to help other people as opposed to a weakness. Like I've always thought of it always as a weakness and just something like a hurdle to get over. But now it's, I look at it like they're superpowers, right? Yes. I'm a indigenous gay male who has dealt with substance use, like there's a lot there that I hope I can use to help other people just get through it. That's all I want. And that you are worthy for recovery. Like you are worthy. And that's just something I never thought I was. And it's important to take care of yourself to help other people. And I think just growing up as a gay person, like we grow up playing a version of ourselves that sacrifices authenticity to basically minimize discrimination and prejudice. And I think that's something I've done my whole life and I'm sick of doing that. It's crazy, actually, the parallel journeys I've felt like I've had so far with, honestly, the, my part of identities being gay and, and sobriety. There's almost a lot of similarities between coming out and coming out about sobriety in a lot of ways. There's a lot of assumptions that are made for both, like, Coming out is a constant thing and it's, it can be exhausting because we're in a world where everybody assumes that you're straight and you shouldn't even have to come out, but it's obviously my option too, if I decide I'm comfortable enough. And if I feel like you deserve to know that, but that assumption is still made. It's very much the same with sobriety. People assume that everybody else drinks and it's, you have to come out about your sobriety if you want to. You don't need to, but I do think there's so much power in sharing your story and being vulnerable is not a bad thing. That is something I always struggled with. And I know a lot of people struggle with, but just sharing your story, like it's, I, there's a lot of power in that. And the fact that you've created like this safe space for people to share their story is incredible. Yeah. That's, I think all, all I got on that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's incredible. And I like, you know, how you broke that down. It makes it, it makes so much sense, right? Because you're meeting new people in different situations and you're explaining it or people are asking, yeah, with sobriety, with coming out. Yeah, it can be exhausting and we can relate with that in a sense. Yeah. I'm wondering, Joe, if you went back to when you were 12, that incident with your dad, that whole thing, what would you say to yourself if you had a chance to go back to that point in time? 
12-year-old Joe with all that stuff happening? Oh, man, just that I would tell myself that it will be okay. Like, you are loved. I, I think that's the main thing because I, I felt such a sense of reject, rejection from my mother. And I know that that hurt me for a long time. But I also know I, I felt like I just wasn't accepted because I was gay as well. And so if I could go back, it would be to tell myself, like, I, you are worthy. I had nobody telling me that. I had nobody telling me that and that you are loved and you are not alone. Like, okay. that is something that, like I've always felt very alone. But now in sobriety, I don't. I finally have found people in a community that I know I belong with. And that has never happened before. And I realized that's why it has been so fulfilling to me already. In less than a year, I finally feel like I found people I belong with. Genuine, awesome connections. And I'm present. I'm not just trying to fit in anymore. I'm ready to blaze my own path moving forward and not look back and just keep moving forward. Wow, dude, I'm this ta I'm taking it all in over here, Joe, because that's just so powerful about it'll work out. It'll work out with time. And, and here you are. Here you are working it out and making a difference in this world, working towards your education and, and to get out there and, and make a difference in people's lives. And with your experience going through all of this, you're going to be able to get right on people's levels with what it's like and, and really help them out. Thank you so much for this, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, same. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Brad. Well, there it is, everyone. What an incredible, incredible episode. Thank you, Joe, so much. And as we release this episode on Friday, November 10th, Joe will be celebrating nine months. Everything just kind of lined up. It's so weird that that happened. But let's go over to Instagram and, and wish Joe congrats. Let Joe know that we appreciate him coming on the show and sharing his story. And also, congrats on nine months. So, head over to Mighty Joe MT on Instagram. And I'll drop the link for that in the show notes below. So, you just click it and boom, you're there. Thank you, Joe. I've had the privilege to get to know Joe over the last few months uh, from the Sober Buddy app. Joe's a community on Sober Buddy. Joins a lot of groups, helps me out with a lot of things with the groups, and it's just been a pleasure to get to know Joe. He's kind, he's supportive, everything in between. So, again, Joe, thank you. Look, I haven't done this for a while, but if you listen right to the end of the show, that means you love it. And I want to let at least one person know that I appreciate you. If you made it to the end here, and you're the first person to send me an email to brad at brad T mcleod.com you can pick out something from the online shop how about that first person to send me that email you get to pick out whatever you want from the online shop and i'll send it to you if you guys are enjoying the episodes and the show and everything be sure to drop a review it's really helpful for new people that are considering what shows that they're going to check out there's just so many so let them know what you're thinking of it and um if you're enjoying it if you're not enjoying it, let's talk before you leave a review. But thank you, everybody, for the continued support. And I'll see you on the next one.